Greetings, fellow citizens of Disneyland. All right, let's all once again take a deep breath. Even though the park has reopened and oh, is it glorious, I understand fully that not everyone has been able to make it back through the gate and go through the tunnel on the right. And if you've gone through the tunnel on the left, bro, have you even been there? Have you even experienced it if you went in through the left? And I also understand the reason why we're taking this deep breath is not everyone, unfortunately, is allowed to go back. Our out-of-state citizens of Disneyland, our out-of-country citizens of Disneyland, I understand not everyone has been able to return for one reason or the other. So instead of ranting and raving about this great and glorious return to somewhat of Disneyland normalcy, let's pause for a minute. Let's create something that everyone could enjoy, even if you're not a fan of Disneyland, because we're going to meet an amazing citizen of Disneyland today, your new friend, Don Muchow. Don is so much like myself in that he is a creative thinker, he is an athlete, and he is someone that set out to make a goal. Now, Don's goal wasn't as big as mine. When I set out to smash the record and ride the Disneyland tram, which you can't even do these days, that's vintage Disney living. When I set out to become the champion, it was a feat that nobody said could be done, and many people said there was no reason for it to be done. But Don Muchow is a fellow champion in the eyes of Disney because he came up with this little idea. What if I just simply ran 30 miles a day? And what if I ran 30 miles a day for 90 days? Monkey math, we would end up at, oh, 2,700 miles, give or take, because not all days are created equal. Not all roads are created equal. But the idea would be, what if I started at the gates of Walt's original Magic Kingdom in sunny Anaheim, California, Disneyland, USA, and by going 30 miles a day over the course of over three months, could I end up running all the way to the gates of Walt Disney World? Now, I know what you're thinking, ambitious and impressive, but not nearly as brave as sitting on a Disneyland tram from 7 a.m. to 1.30 a.m., but I get it. Not all of us can be champions. I don't want to give away too much of the story because the way that Disney got involved and how they made Don's magical trip even more magical, well, that's something that I want you to hear from Don. Friends, I hope you enjoy this very special episode of Citizens of Disneyland. Because this story is so touching and because it has a lot to do with awareness for diabetes, which is something that I know has touched my family and my friends, and I'm sure yours as well, I, on behalf of Club 1313, am making today's episode free for all because I want everyone to be able to hear this amazing story of when the champion got to hang out with the champion. It's Citizens of Disneyland, Don Muchow on Disneyland for Designers. So nice to get to talk to you, bud. Uh, before we jump into this amazing feat that you accomplished, let's just get started right here. You ran from, you say mouse to mouse, but I like the branding of castle to castle, but you're a marketing guy, so I'm not going to push it too hard with you, my name for the event. But where does your love of Disney come from? I know that you say that you and your wife are huge Disney fans, but where does the love of Disney come from that this crazy idea made sense to you? Um. When I was growing up, one mm -hmm. of the things that I remembered most fondly was going on a handful of rides that are still at the parks. 
And um, when I think of Disney, um, I actually think of it as kind of a quiet place I can retreat to. I know that yeah. sounds crazy with all the crowds, but no, I get that. Uh, that's why we like it's a small world. That's yeah. why we like the railroad. Um, I just sort of think of it as the one happy thing in the world that never changes. I, uh, so I, I'm not as, not as interested in the new rides mm-hmm. uh, as I am in the stuff that doesn't change. See, I, I completely agree with you on that because I, uh, as a local that lives not too far from the park, it can be hectic. It can be complete chaos. And there's a part of me that enjoys that, but I love the quiet spots. I love what it represents. It's, it's ancestry and American history and how, you know, uh, I like the Disney parks, but when I went to Disneyland, uh, it was very special to me because it feels so historic. It feels so out of time. So I completely understand what you're talking about. You live in Texas now. Were you born and raised in Texas? Uh, no, I actually was uh, born in Mobile, Alabama. Uh, and uh, what's the saying? I got out as fast as I could. Uh, <laughs> I shouldn't I shouldn't say that. Um, people in Mobile might not like that, but um Hey, I'm I'm originally from Louisville, Kentucky, so I'm not gonna I'm gonna understand okay, yeah. what you're saying. <laughs> we got the same problem, stereotypes <laughs> following us around. Um, we settled. My wife and I settled in the DFW area around 1990 um, when there were some changes in the economy, sort of brought us into the area, and we yeah. just kind of never left. And so, did you go to Disney parks as a kid? Is that where the love started, or did you first yes. venture in as an adult? Uh, yes. Um, my uh, dad was in the military okay. and we spent a good bit of time overseas. So when yeah. we got back to the U.S., it was almost like we were foreigners wanting to visit Disney World. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, we made kind of a tradition of, of stopping by whenever we could. And uh, then as I was growing up, there was kind of a long gap. And I guess that sort of produced that vacuum, yeah. for lack of a better word, where I wanted to go back and try to recapture that feeling that I had when I was growing up. Yeah. And um, whenever we've gone back, we've generally, like you say, look look for the quiet spots. One of my favorite um, Disney World memories was when we were, I'm trying to remember where it was. It was in the Magic Kingdom, and we were sitting down in a shaded spot um, trying to finish off a Mickey ice cream bar. That's your and favorite. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. <laughs> um, and uh, we saw this squirrel, just a random squirrel. Yeah. Uh, kind of, you know, doing what squirrels do. They bounce around, they, sure. you know, they look for stuff. And this uh, cast member pulled some sunflower seeds out of his pocket and the squirrel knew what to do. He went right up to the guy's hand and <laughs> ate the seeds out of his hand. And I thought, you know, this guy has plenty of time to kill. You know, his job, his actual job, apart from being nice to people, probably involves... Uh, based on how he was dressed, it probably involved uh, some sort of a service uh, kind of thing, uh, keeping the park clean or something like that. But he had the bandwidth of mind to realize that he was representing the brand. Yeah. And it, at, you know, in, in the in the Disney universe, squirrels walk up to people and eat it out of their hands. Yeah. And to me, that was actually one of the more magical memories. Just that. He had taken the time over God knows how long to get friendly with this squirrel, and the squirrel knew what to do. And to me, that that's just one of those moments you can't quite capture unless you've been there. And that's exactly why I started doing this series of podcasts, the uh, the Citizens of Disneyland, because I found that you know the rides, the attractions are these common bonds that we all have. You know, you can say any one of these attractions to a fellow Disney fan and they understand what you're talking about they know pirates of the caribbean and what it means to everybody 
But as you go there more and more and, and you really kind of give yourself uh, up to the park, you start to realize that it's those moments, right? It's the moment where you see the cast member and the squirrel or you see a family that you know nothing about, but you witness them having that magical time and it, it just it resonates with you, right? And uh, Yeah, it's, it's almost a Disney Zen, for lack of a better word. I completely agree. And that was what made the last year so hard because for many of us, this is our escapism from reality. And when reality got so real that the escapism got unplugged, it was like, oh, where do we go to sort of decompress yeah. from all this? You know, I was once standing back in the far end of Critter Country here in Disneyland, and uh, these two raccoons were running around this little creek in front of where the Winnie the Pooh attraction is. And I was standing there, Don, going, oh, my God there are really animals that live in critter country and it just gave it a whole other level of realism seeing these two raccoons kind of running around and having a good time in there. So I too, I I don't mean this is your episode. I'm going to let you have the spotlight, but I too am a champion. Uh, I rolled the Disneyland tram, you know, the vehicle that takes you from the parking garage to the park. Yep. I set the record one day, Don. I rode that from 6 a.m. to 1.30 in the morning, and I rode it 116 times in one day. So I know what it's like to be a fellow Disney champion. Uh, I respect that. Thank you, sir. I mean, maybe you slightly outdid me with running, what, 2,700 miles over 90 days? That's about right. (laughs) But I know how I came up with my crackpot idea. Tell me how you came up with the idea, because, you know, your story... Uh, and you can share as much of it as you want to type one diabetes. You kind of had this mindset as a child uh, that others enforced into you that you couldn't be super active because we just didn't know uh, back in the seventies, what we know now and the new millennium. So I know that you're a big runner and you've done lots of different, you know, things, you know, started with a Turkey trot and you worked your way up. I mean, you're an iron man, which is so impressive to me. But then you came up with the wild idea one day. And, and I want to know, I know you, Don. I know you thought of this in your mind before you actually said it to your wife or said it to somebody else. So can you take me to the day where you're like, I wonder what it would be like if I could run from Disneyland to Disney World? Um, I wish I could take credit for coming up with the idea. Um, really? I thought it was a brilliant idea when a friend suggested it to me, but it was kind of a fortunate accident. Yeah. A um, couple of things sort of dovetailed. Uh, one is that I'm not fast, so there's no way I'm going to break a speed record for running across the U.S. Sure. So I wanted to pick some destinations that were sort of not on the Guinness radar, um, try to separate myself from that. And um, I came up with this idea originally to run from Los Angeles to the Space Coast. Um, The mundane reasons for that were that it involved the least elevation. Yeah. Running across the southern U.S. Yeah, and I was I was uh, explaining it to a friend, and I said, "Well, I'm running from Los Angeles to the Space Coast," and he said, "Oh, so you're running from Disneyland to Disney World then?" <laughs> and I kind of thought to myself, "Yes, I am." <laughs> and from that moment, it was kind of official. That's what we were going to do. Um, so that was. Uh, I, I give all the credit for the idea to him. Uh, making it a reality that definitely was a, a lot of work, uh, you know, training, working up the distance, scouting the route and everything. Uh, but really I give him credit for seeing the possibilities yeah. for what would have otherwise been a fairly, uh, fairly mundane route across the U S 
Yeah, I mean, you're willing to put in the time and hours to not only do this, but to train for it. And I'm sure the hours on training versus reality is uh, an interesting ratio. But when your friend broke it down, oh, you're going to Disneyland to Disney World, that has so much more of appeal and, and story to it than like, well, I'm going from L.A. to to the to where they shoot off the spaceships in Florida. Like, I mean, that's an accomplishment, but the branding on this idea, right? Like from castle to castle, mouse to mouse, these two icons that everybody in the country, whether you've been a hundred times or zero times, everybody's aware of these two pinpoints on the map. And it just made for such a great story that you were doing it. And then combined with, you know, you had a good cause behind it, raising awareness for um, diabetes. It, it, it just made for such a great story. And I think that that end point and, and, and starting point is such a big part of that story. It's, uh, it's funny you should mention that. Um, I definitely agree. Uh, my experience has been, uh, you know, when we, when we told, started telling people about the run, uh, we held on to both ideas uh, at the same time. Yeah. Um, we weren't sure whether, initially, whether um, Disney to Disney was going to be um, the big eye catcher. Uh, the, there are some people in the transcontinental running community who kind of felt like, well, you know, you need to get one foot wet in each ocean. So we wanted to make sure that we were acknowledging that it was a transcontinental run, yeah. certainly not the fastest. And we just, you know, we didn't know uh, what was going to be most appealing to people. Um, we certainly had an inkling that the Disney to Disney piece had high marketability. But we were also aware of the fact that, um, you know, Disney is a carefully protected brand yes. um, for, for lack of a better way of putting it. Um, and we were concerned in doing the run that um, the level of risk involved in running across the country, you know, it's uh, not easy if you're careful to get hit by a truck, but it's always possible Sure. that um, we didn't want them to be knee deep in something that turned out to blow up in their face. Right. So we were very conscious of, of keeping an appropriate distance from the brand until we were very close to finishing. Yeah. Smart. And, um, and, and I think that, you know, out of respect for, for, for the Disney brand and the fact that, you know, for all the love we have for them, we didn't want it to be a bad story or a sad story. Yes, um, I get we, that. I we, understand We were that. careful about that. And when yeah. we, we got to the park, we actually thought that they were going to be equally protective and escort us off the property once we got onto private Disney property. Uh, and we were very surprised when... They had been sneakily getting ready for this for God knows how long, and they had an awesome reception for us when we got to the park. Yeah, the hero's welcome that you got from them. That it was really, fantastic. I can only imagine, man. I can only imagine. So let's back up a little bit because I think that this is where you and I have a, a lot in common. So when I go out to the park and I do these stupid things, like I'm also the king of Christmas. I I was the very last guest to leave Disneyland Christmas. Uh 19 to 20, right? So Christmas starts in 2019 and ends early January 20. So therefore, technically, I'm still the last one to experience Disneyland Christmas, right? Because nobody could battle me this year because the park was closed. And I've done several of these little incidents, but I agree with you. In my mind, I call it the, the three Ps. Whatever, Whenever I do this stuff, I have to have patience and persistence to get what I want. But I can't think of myself as a, as a VIP. I have to be polite because... If I'm doing these shenanigans 
and I ruin somebody's vacation, then I've defeated the purpose of what I'm there to do. I'm there to show people that the Disney magic is as creative as you want it to be. And it's not about crushing rides. It's not about getting all the new merchandise. It's a mindset being a citizen of Disneyland. And that mindset means that I can't let me riding on the tram all day ruin your once in a lifetime vacation to Disneyland because then I have defeated the purpose of what I stand for. So a lot of people will hear that you're going to do this and you're like, oh man, have you contacted them? Are you going to make t-shirts? And Don, you're just like me. No, I, I'm going to kind of do my thing. I'm going to flirt with them and let them know that it's happening. But I don't want to get too close to it because I don't want to be told no. I don't want to be a hassle for them. I just kind of want to do my thing in my own lane. If they pay attention to it, that's amazing, but I don't want to burden them with, as I say, my own bullshit. And I like that you took that route, that you literally made it about your task, and they were welcome to get on board, and they did, which, when did you become aware that the finish line would actually be receptive by Disney, that you would go up Main Street, USA West, and that, the, that they would be there to celebrate with you in front of Cinderella's castle. Like, How far in did you know that that was what the actual end point was going to look like? Um, basically when it happened. Uh, that's they, amazing. They kept the best surprise party in the world that's secret amazing. for... That's because they're Disney. Yeah. Um, I was actually... Uh, we, we carefully planned our route. Uh, as I think I had alluded to before, yeah. to um, avoid running on private property. Yep. Um, that was partly out of concern for uh, wanting to make sure that if somebody wanted to come behind us and and do the same thing faster, that um, it wasn't dependent on their being able to afford park admission or or that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and we also tried very carefully to keep it off of Disney property, as I, I think I had mentioned. Yeah. And when we... That left us with one option um, on pedestrian legal roads, which was to come down Reams uh, and then make the turn at Cass Parking and uh, head down towards the Contemporary and the Gates of the Magic Kingdom. Yeah. All the other Disney parks are basically, you can't get there on foot right. um, without doing it illegally or yeah. without certainly without irritating the security. Yeah. And when we got to um, the Contemporary, uh, at the, the, gate, the uh, King, Gates of the Magic Kingdom, there was a security guard waiting there and uh, I guess basically to make sure that people crossed over to the magic kingdom safely, if they were coming from the, the contemporary. Yeah. And he said, are you the runner? And I said, uh, yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, uh -oh. this is the point where they say, you know, you realize you can't run on Disney property. You know, this is, you know, not, you know, your cameraman needs to stay back. No signs. So uh, I, I know that feeling done when I was doing the tram thing. I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about. And I know how devastating that can be because you've now spent, you know, almost 90 days and you're right at the moment. And they're like, are you the runner? And you're like busted. It's over. Because when I was doing the tram yeah. thing, the, the supervisor, of the parking garage, goes, Hey, are you the guy who's running, riding the tram all day? And I go, yes, sir. It's me. And I thought <laughs> I was done. Don, and he goes, my wife works over at corporate and everybody's rooting for you. So I want to help you get on the best trams to make this happen. And I was like, Oh my God, you're going to work with me. Awesome. <laughs> so I know that, that exact awesome. feeling, Don. I know that exact feeling of like busted game over. But when he said, are you the runner? Then what happened? Um, he said, uh, you have some friends waiting for you over at the gate. <laughs> and they weren't and security I thought, All right. Well, I had been, I had been, uh, my two pacers that day, um, yeah. were, um, a lady named Briar Rose. Um, I'm trying to remember her last name. 
Uh, and of course, that's a Disney character. But yeah. uh, uh, she is, uh, as we speak, attempting to break the Guinness World Record for the youngest person to run across the U.S. Wow. And uh, it was a couple weeks before their attempt that um, she happened to catch up with me in Claremont and uh, ran the better part of the 15 or so miles to the Magic Kingdom. And when we got there, um, I kind of lost track of her and I thought, okay, well, she's gone to the gates. That's what they mean. You're, you know, your friends are waiting. You know, you may, I have a brother who lives in Florida. I thought maybe he was going to surprise me. Yeah. And uh, so when I ran towards the, the gates, um, I just thought, okay, well, I'm going to meet up with some family members. You know, we're going to hug, shake hands, whatever is appropriate socially. And when I, I got about halfway um, from the contemporary to the, uh, to the gates, I had gone through security. Uh, and for some reason, I was the only person there. They, they ushered me through security really fast. <laughs> And I saw some people standing on the side, yeah. uh, kind of cheering. Yeah. And you know, I had I had seen that from the moment I started in Claremont. Uh, people had begun to pick up on the story. Um, I got used to realizing when people were honking at me, it wasn't because I was an idiot running on the side of they the road. They were cheering you on because they wa- they wanted to see me finish. Yeah. And uh, so I, I heard some cheering, and I thought, boy, this is awesome. And I, I always raise my hands and wave at the people who are cheering because yeah. that really makes my day to to know that anybody cares. And, um, but then this panorama sort of opened in front of me and there were, by my best count, at least 200 cast members standing there cheering and clapping and they had balloons and oh. swag and, oh. um, Melissa Valaquet, the president of Walt Disney world, um, yeah. presented me with that custom, uh, Mickey mouse cat that your viewers may see in the picture that says Disneyland to Disney world. Yeah. And I thought, okay, they're taking this seriously if she's out here. And uh, I got to share stories with cast members whose sons and daughters or sisters uh, had a type one story. And um, the sense that I got was that, you know, they told their people about this and people with a connection to the disease actually volunteered to come out and be there. Wow. Um, It may have been their day off and they suited up. I, I don't know. Yeah, but um, it was an incredible sense of connectedness to other humans that I think the pandemic had just kind of beat out of most of us, and uh, they really they really did a fantastic job. I, it's probably a once in a lifetime experience if I look back on it, and I'm trying to savor the memory of it already. Oh, absolutely! It's once in a lifetime, and and such an amazing accomplishment. And when I saw that you were doing this, it it just lit me up because last year there was such an influx of bad news that you forgot these little things happen. You know, like we used to live in a world where every day you were like, Hey, did you hear about the, the woman that did this or the kid that helped out this person or the kid that, you know, dog saves a drowning baby. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the kid that, you know, raised money, you know, he's able to raise $10,000 for a local charity or whatever. That stuff all just got steamrolled right out of the way, you know, and there's something about, what you did, Don, that it that it touches us and it opens the imagination and then paired with the bookends being the two Disney parks and, and imagining what it's like to have that hero's welcome. I mean, where did you, before this happened, in your mind's eye, as you're running day in and day out, what were you visualizing 
as the actual finish line that you would just get up to the front gate you'd buy a ticket and walk through like how did you vision how this would end just so that we can understand how emotional this actual storytelling ending is um we thought that we might make it as far as the security entrance um that's such a bad way to end a great story I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't quite hear that. I'm sorry. I talked over you. I just, I had to interject. That's such a bad way to end a great story. We ended at security gates. Like that's not how you want this story to end. <laughs> well, um, there's a bookend to that. Um, when we started the run um, and we, we started technically at uh, in Newport beach. Yep. Uh, I can never remember. I think it was 43rd street. I might be wrong about that. Um, but it was the, the, basically the, the closest beach we could find that was due south of Harbor Boulevard mm-hmm. uh, or what would become Har- Harbor Boulevard. It's got mm-hmm. a different name, I think, until it gets closer to Anaheim. Yeah. And uh, our goal was to run from the coast up to Disneyland and uh, take the turn off of Harbor onto Catella, I believe it is. Yep. And kind of get, get in the orange as quickly as we could um, so that um, – anything we were doing wouldn't get in the way of Disney's normal traffic. And that was pre pandemic day. So it was, it was pretty crowded. And, um, you know, we'd only been 14 miles at that point and we didn't really realistically expect anyone at Disney to come out and welcome us. Sure. Um, so we did do this, you know, the, the photo at, at the, uh, exterior, the, the, uh, the big arch that says Disneyland. And um, we thought, okay, our finish line is going to look just like this. Right. You know, we're going to we're going to get to some place. We'll we'll find some something where we could get you know a, a mouse or a view of the castle or Space Mountain or something. And in the background, we'll take a picture of that and we'll say, okay, well we got you know we got to the Magic Kingdom. Didn't go inside because we had 15 more miles to go that day. Um, of course, it was it uh, was not only a wonderful surprise, but it. It actually threw our schedule off a little bit that they welcomed us into the park and let us ride our favorite ride. Um, uh, the park was actually um, closed to additional visitors at, at the time we arrived. So they, they weren't letting anybody else in with a ticket. They oh. just actually walked us in. Wow. That makes it even more crazy that everybody at Disneyland is there to celebrate you, Don. Uh, they weren't taking they weren't taking tickets that's for sure oh um, man, that's cr- sorry disney world that's amazing man and uh but of course we spent a couple of hours uh we uh rode it's a small world yeah. uh, i got a mickey bar and we kind of just sat sat around and, and took it in for a while oh of course but, you have to you know that was 15 miles into a 31 mile day and i had another 16 miles to run so uh, we were conscious of the fact we wanted to get to Kissimmee before uh, darkness set or we'd have to tell everyone on the, on the coast that we were running a half a day behind schedule. Yeah. And at that point we had um, multiple news interviews lined up. Uh, we had people we were meeting um, and it would have just thrown things off. Yeah. So in many ways, the, the ultimate victory was making it to the Disney finish line, being able to do the park, ride our favorite rides, eat our favorite food, and then finish the, the 31 miles for the day. <laughs> what a schedule. So, all right, so that was kind of a sneak sneak victory for us. Yeah. Wow. Um, our ultimate goal, of course, is to get back there and spend the whole day at the park, just being regular Disney fans. Sure. And uh, we're probably going to do that as uh, soon as I finish my recovery. Um, I've still got a few more weeks to to get rid of blisters and things like that. Oh, I can only imagine the wear and tear on on the body for doing that. So when I hear this, this is the thing that my mind goes to. 
the ending is glamorous. The beginning is glamorous. Telling everybody you're going to do it is glamorous. But getting in there and digging the ditch, brother, that's not glamorous. Uh, definitely unglamorous at some points. Yeah. Where does your mind go day in and day out? Like, what do you do to keep yourself occupied? Like, are you listening to podcasts? Are you listening to music? Are you, you know, are you a clear spiritual runner where you don't put anything in your ear holes? Like, where are you at mentally? Because this is an unbelievable amount of perseverance to just keep pushing forward and to keep going. Um, I would probably say I'm closer to that clear spiritual runner side of things. Um, it isn't necessarily a uh, religious or near religious experience for me, but it, as a practical matter, it's dangerous for me to put anything in my ear that makes me unable to hear traffic coming from behind. Um, I do run on the left side of the road facing traffic um, unless I'm in a situation where there's, you know, sloping shoulder on the left, but a sidewalk on the right. Yeah. Um, um, primarily uh, I run just a little bit off the road uh, because I've run into situations where um, people, anxious drivers who want to pass a slow moving vehicle will swing into the lane that I'm actually running in. So I've learned to stay well clear of that sort of thing. And when I hear an engine revving, I assume it's about to hit me. So you, um, you run and then you have your van, which is like your HQ, right? That's yes. the vehicle you're talking about. So you have somebody cruising along, man, that person's bored out of their mind. I mean, where, how fast uh, are they driving? 10, 15 miles an hour? Um, well, as a couple of things, um, we were, we checked with law enforcement and they told us it was actually dangerous and illegal to creep along behind someone. Okay. So, um, typically the van hopscotches me, um, three to five miles, which, uh, gives them enough time to prepare a meal, um, do some social posts, um, check in with news media, um, coordinate meetups and a host of other things. Um, my wife, who is my crew chief, would probably tell you there's nothing boring about it. It's like being inside NASA mission control. Okay. Now that makes sense because if she like rides by and like, see you in, you know, 15 minutes, Don, and then she's up ahead and then you catch up with her and she, that makes sense. I was just imagine like, just literally like driving a car 10 miles an hour next to you. Like, this is so boring. Why did I say I would do this? Yeah, we um, we've been known to do that on dirt roads in the middle of nowhere, sure. uh, primarily because loose dogs uh, are a major concern, yeah. um, especially if you're, you're taking back road America to go anywhere. And uh, often we'd be in a situation where it made sense for her to get in between me and a dog. And in the meantime, I was, you know, getting out my whistle or my air horn or, you know, something to mess with the dog's mind and get, get him off of the idea that I was meat. I never even thought about that. You're living in walking dead times and you're going into the middle of America where it's just like still choose your own adventure and animals are running after you. But Dom, what, what are you thinking though? Like, where is your mind at? Because I know this about me and running. I start running and everything in my body goes, stop this. Why are you doing this? This makes no sense. Why are you doing this to us? And like every time I've ever run, my whole brain's being like, hey, you can stop anytime you want to, bud. You don't have to keep going. Who are you trying to impress? So like, where do you go in your mind? Do you think about your future? Do you think about your past? Like, like what? Because you're not listening to anything, which is crazy to me. So where are you mentally? I have to know this. Um. 
Part of the answer is uh, someone told me that the inside of my mind is like a cross between Nickelodeon and an out of control radio dial. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, a lot of fragments of cartoon episodes, you know, Jethro Tull songs, um, uh, thinking about something that looks crazy. Uh, it doesn't take much to kind of get your mind busy on something. I, I I recall I was actually going through my, um, my uh, photos for the race report, which I'm still working on. Yeah. And uh, I think it was the second day after we resumed the last third of the run. So it would have been March 3rd of 2021. I had a photo of a stop sign that was lying on the ground with the post and everything. And my first thought when I saw that stop sign was, or not, (laughs) (laughs) you know, somebody clearly had not stopped because it was, it was slammed out of its post and onto the ground. Yeah. Uh, and that just struck me as amusing and, uh, little things like that will sort of nucleate in your head and you'll find yourself thinking about some thought related to that. And, you know, the next thing, you know, um, your mind's off in a different place. One thing I did find, uh, in all seriousness was that you can't really let your mind wonder, um, because when that happens, often you look up and there's a car just a few feet away from you honking like crazy because you're out in the road. So you really have to stay Um, present. You have to be present, yeah. and uh, I, I wouldn't call it necessary uh, necessarily meditation, yeah. but focus for sure. Yeah, uh, being relaxed and being focused at the same time. I actually took to uh, collecting odd things I found on the side of the road, um, provided that they were clean and there was some point in keeping them. I probably found uh, two dollars and forty-one cents in loose change, including <laughs> a silver dollar. Um, I think the silver dollar was in Montgomery, Alabama, yeah. but um, I don't know why people get rid of that stuff. That's uh, I mean, it's money. Yeah. Um, but uh, some really strange things we found along the way. Uh, somebody threw out a uh, baby Chewbacca. Uh, someone threw out some pom-poms. Um, and after a while, the inside of the front part of the van is just this collection of things we thought were really amusing that were thrown out. Don, you hit uh, me with you hit me with more accidental nostalgia because as a young man, I grew up in a band and we would go on tour and we'd be out for just you know months on end, and the dashboard of the van was always a collage of where we had been and all of the hijinks we'd gotten into, and by the time we got home, people would look at the dashboard and be like. What have you guys been doing for the last ninety days? I'm like, you have no idea. You have no idea because Don, to really understand America. You have to get out there and to see it. You right? You can't live in your blue Amen. city or your red county. You got to get out there and experience and see it. And what ultimately what I ended up calling when when I was in the band and, and touring as a young guy, um, I referred it to as like people were like, oh, you getting ready to go out on tour? I'm like, nah, man, we're getting in the van and we're going to go solve mysteries, just like Scooby Doo and the gang, right? Because yes. once. Once you get out into America and once you detach from your address and nine to five and emails and a meeting Thursday at two and, you know, getting tags for your car as your big plan Saturday morning, once you fully get into traveler's mode, it's just a whole world of adventure out there. You see so many things that make zero sense. You meet so many crazy characters along the way that the world is way more adventurous than most people have any idea of. It's, it's actually, uh, if you, I would say to anybody out there, if you get a chance to see the real America, the backyard America, you know, uh, 
laundromat and scrap metal in pecan America. Yep. Do it because that's what the country really is. It um, is. The kindness of strangers is still out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, people aren't cynical or hopeless. And uh, you're right. I, I have many stories I could tell. Uh, two kind of came to mind in particular. Uh, one was a fellow um, we met, I believe it was in the, it wasn't Eastland County because uh, the rest center there uh, is actually on the interstate. We weren't there. I think it was either the Nolan County safety rest area or um, it was just outside of Abilene. Yeah. We had just gotten out of Abilene. So we, whatever, whatever one that is, I probably have to look it up on Google maps. And uh, we were approached by this guy, pretty tough looking sort of, you know, biker vibe kind of going on, <laughs> yeah. you know, knife strapped to the waist um, in a holster Great. or whatever you call it, a mini scabbard or whatever, whatever you call it, where you put knives. Yeah. And uh, I thought to myself, okay, you know, here's where we meet Jesus. Yeah. And the guy comes up and he, he extends his hand and he says, my brother's type one. And we had an instant connection yeah. and he had a story and it was just so great to hear his story. And, you know, we exchanged a few God blesses along the way. And yeah. once we got started running, it was uh, during our lunch break. Once we got started running uh, from the rest area, the, his, uh, the, the rest of his motorcycle club kind of headed back out onto the road. And they're all honking as they, as they rode by. That's and great. Uh, there was a lady outside of, um, I believe it was Cisco, Texas, who came out, uh, I think it was from a church holding a water bottle and, a $20 bill and asked me if I had met God and I wasn't fast enough on the take to come up with a smart ass answer. Uh, and I, I said, basically look around you, man, if you don't see him, you're blind. Yeah. And, uh, cause that was how I felt in the moment. I mean, I once told somebody that I, I'm not a particularly religious person, but I know why God looked out on creation after seven days and said, this is good. Yeah, uh, I mean, cause it is. It's did a, beautiful out there. Did a pretty good job, right? If you could do that in seven days, that's that's pretty yeah. efficient. But I understand there's something about that long-term traveling where you just, you get detached from society. You don't know if it's Tuesday or Thursday, and it doesn't matter. And there's just a whole other way that the world operates when you just kind of let go. And out of all of the things that I learned from that 10 year period of my life, that was kind of the, the most freeing part of it all. And there's something done that's amazing about being able to watch the news and whatever story pops up, you've been to that market, you've been to that town and you go, yeah, that sounds like something that would happen in Madison, Wisconsin. You know what I mean? Like you just, <laughs> you have that frame of reference that, yeah. that these States aren't all represented by the city where, you know, 70% of the population decides to live. Like there's a whole lot of America that connects, you know, these, these points on the map. And uh, it's such an honor to get to get out there and to do it and to be free and just to get lost in the adventure. So you had a lot of people along the way that would join you and, and run with you for a while. And, you know, I live right off the beach here in, in LA and I see people do something all the time. Don, I can't understand. Once again, when I run, my body's like, just stop. You don't need who just stop running. But I will see, you know, it's it's normally like two older guys or two like mid-aged women. This is where I see it the most. And they run past me, 
like it's no big deal that they're running and they're having a full blown conversation talking and running Don makes no sense to me. I'm assuming that you're somebody who can run and talk. Like I'm like, that looks painful using your oxygen to be like, so the kids, they want to go here on Friday night, but we've been telling them we need to go see Don's grandmother. We need to go, you know, like how do you do that? So when people run with you, does it slow you down or does it keep uh, you interested? Really. Okay. It's a, it's kind of a meditation for me um, to have somebody running with me. So it, it calms me down. It slows my respiration a little bit. Yeah. And I actually find that um, in, in a very literal sense, as well as a poetic sense, it sort of breathes some oxygen into me yeah. to have somebody with me. Uh, the one thing I don't do is talk. I shout. Um, <laughs> I'm so used to traffic just yeah. buzzing me that, um, you know, I found when we got into the civilized part of um, the uh, Lake Buena Vista area that um, was, I can't remember what road we were on. I think it was 50 coming in. We came in through some very rural area yeah. and it dumped us out onto, I think it was Florida 50 uh, as we came into Claremont. And uh, when we hit the civilized portion of the world and some people came to run with us, I found that I was shouting at them. <laughs> And I, I thought to myself, why am I shouting? Yeah. And then I remembered, you know, the last road I had been on, it was these, you know, Ford F-350 Super Duty diesels, you know, going by at 70 miles an hour. And that was what you did to get heard. Um, so I've had to sort of adjust the um, volume in my voice, uh, even since I've gotten back so that I don't shout at people. <laughs> I'm not hard of hearing. Yeah. It's just, I'm so used to shouting. That's what you do. Well, yeah, I, um, I find myself too nowadays with, you know, when I'm filming in the parks and I have a mask on and I know the the range of the camera, like, I feel like I'm just like yelling my way to try to get my voice over the sounds of everything around me. So I, I definitely get that. Uh, when you do something like this and you're living in this bubble, how do you financially disappear for 90 days? Like, how do you, how can one afford to run from castle to castle? Um, it's definitely expensive. Oh, um, yeah. We took a look at uh, running what I would call sort of minimal estimates for a crude run. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's it's cheaper but harder to do it without a crew. Um, I've known some transcontinental runners who are very budget conscious, who yeah. basically push a baby carriage full of supplies. And uh, often that kind of catches the attention of cops who are like, why are you pushing a baby carriage yeah, in the middle yeah. of the Arizona desert? <laughs> yeah. um, and most of them will put tape on the side of the baby carriage that says USA run, no baby. Right. right. Um, it's just, you learn to do that. Um, for a crude run, you're probably looking anywhere from three to $5,000 minimum. Um, and that's if you stay at the cheapest dirt bag motels, pitch a tent, uh, that kind of thing. Um, it's just almost no way around it. Um, I think for something deluxe, like, uh, Pete Costelneck, you know, the, the RV, either buying or renting an RV, um, you're probably talking upwards of 30,000, but we kind of split the difference. Um, we found a crew van, uh, severely discounted, uh, it was being sold by a, a bankrupt lawn maintenance company. Yeah. And um, they were desperate to get rid of it and it only had 5,000 miles on oh, it. Oh, so, win. That's a win. Uh, we had, yeah, we had, uh, uh, we learned kind of the hard way. It was actually it was a uh, Mercedes Metris, which is a, a very good cargo van. Yeah. 
but we learned the hard way that um, that one of the reasons that Mercedes are expensive is because a lot of them have these turbo engines in them that only take uh, high octane gas. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> gas turned out to be an expense, even though the van was cheap. Yeah. And uh, and um, basically, uh, we took to especially during the pandemic, um, trying to locate Airbnbs, which tend to be less expensive, uh, windows open so you can cross ventilate them. Uh, it's easier to sort of go in and wipe them down with Clorox. Yeah. And you've got a pretty COVID, spa- COVID safe home base for three or four days. Yeah. Um, but as far as job flexibility, um, my wife and I run a, a small ad agency focused on health and wellness companies. And before we started the run, uh, we reassigned uh, a number of my duties to other employees. And um, we also moved all of our software that we used to the cloud so we could get to it from a laptop and a decent Wi-Fi connection. Uh, we also bought some um, high-intensity over-the-road cell boosters and tested whether we could get a connection. Wow. And uh, we actually were able to get a pretty stable connection in the middle of the Mojave desert with those, um, over the road boosters. Wow. So we had to do some things like that. Yeah. Um, but we were able to make ourselves mobile and still employed, uh, in order to finish the run. So because you have a background in advertising and marketing, this is a pretty amazing marketing thing that you did, right? I mean, if you, you were doing social throughout this, I know that you documented it, the finish line being inside of Walt Disney world. Like this is a pretty great thing to say, Hey, we're a company that thinks outside of the box. Look what I do with my own life. I mean, like this is a great resume builder, Don. We thought about that actually. Um, I think it goes to tell the story that if you've got something story worthy. Yep. Um, even if it's a commercial message, um, you know, understand who your audience is. Yeah. Direct your message to that audience and communicate it succinctly and effectively at every chance they have to listen. Yeah. And I think that, um, a lot of people sort of fall prey to, um, you know, this is personal. This is my story. This is a spiritual journey. And those things are all true, but, you know, this is America and people get 15 seconds of ad followed by another 15 seconds of ad followed by 30 seconds by a minute by newspapers, uh, you know, blog posts and their attention is very precious to them. Yeah. And you you have to have something big and in their face and they either like it or they don't. And I think that um, it was fortunate that with the Disney to Disney angle that my friend came up with that we actually had a story that had some legs on it by itself. And we were able to capitalize on that. Yeah. If you tell people a good story, they won't care if they're being advertised to, they they want to hear the story. And so, you know, the Disney sort of gloss on the outside of this has got people right now listening to two guys talk 44 minutes about something that all fundamentally comes from diabetes type one if i said hey this is the type one diabetes week on the podcast people like i might skip this week but i'm like hey yeah i'm gonna get lectured lectured to by about yeah yeah but if i I tell people but if i tell people the champion talks to the champion now people want to listen to this because it's like oh Bricky's talking to somebody who's catchy. (laughs) Bricky's talking to somebody who's crazier than he is that ran from park to park and I think that that 
when I looked at what you did, you know, cause I went over your website and I saw that you had a background in marketing. I'm like, well, this is living by example, you know, and this is something that years from now, you can always pull this out of your back pocket in the boardroom when you want to get Don Draper on people and be like, <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't mean to, uh, I don't mean to call you folks out, but I ever tell you about the time I ran from Disneyland to Disney world. Here he goes again. Here he goes again with his war story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, as we're wrapping up here, Don, work me through this. You've explained to us how dangerous it is out on the road. You've explained to it us how focused that you have to be. You've talked about the crew. People have come up and ran alongside with you. Do you, you were successful in that you got acknowledged by Disney and you have, you know, post on their website and you have that documentation that you did this and, and you put the miles in, but do you feel like you were successful for you honoring type one diabetics? Like, do you feel like that part of the voyage was a success? Yes, I actually do. Um, a little bit of a comparison. When I ran Texas in 2019, we were successful beyond our wildest dreams at fundraising, but we didn't have too many people living with diabetes stopping by to talk about, you know, talk to us. They see the van, you know, passing that kind of thing. Uh, this year, it was the other way around. Um, fundraising was not that successful. I suspect people's budgets are tapped out due to COVID. Sure. Uh, we do have a number of uh, charities um, that are listed on our website, and all of which are very deserving of donations. But um, what we found this year was that people wanted to tell their stories. They wanted to hear our stories. Um, they wanted to talk shop about type one and exercise. And that was really the point of the run was yeah. to get that conversation started, even if it was one person at a time. Yeah. And uh, I ran across someone who said, well, I heard your story. I went out and ran a 5K today, and it didn't suck. <laughs> and um, this is another type one. That's great. And I thought, okay, okay this is the start. This is yeah. where it starts. You know? yeah. um, back in 2004, when I first started uh, to, to run, it was because I had a brush with uh, complications from poor diabetes management. Mm -hmm. And I kind of feel like, you know, I, I want to be the future you that talks to the the, the uh, type ones of the present yeah. that uh, that says, okay, you know, I was lucky. I made the right decision. Now you do too. Yeah. Um, Don, is America ever going to get along? Because I know that type ones and type twos just cannot stand each other. Uh, do you feel like we could ever bridge that gap in America? Are you, are you ready to put out a helping hand to type two or are you still turning your back on them? Um, I hope that that is not a long-term problem. I have actually been swim training with a, a type two. Uh, his type two is um, basically a result of surviving thyroid cancer. Oof. And um, it's kind of a long causal chain there, but um, it's not that he's not trying. Yeah. It's not that he's sitting on the couch eating ho-hos. Yeah. Uh, he and I, when the weather is good and the, the lake is cooperative, we go out and swim two and a half to three miles, you know, a couple times a week. And if you, if you looked at him, you would say, okay, well, buddy, you know, you need to lay off the, uh, the, the, uh, steak fries. And he does. I mean, he is. And he faces the stigma of people thinking that he caused it on himself because it's type two and statistically, um, type two diabetes is often associated with obesity and yeah. an active lifestyle. Yeah. Um, but it's not, necessarily caused by that 
it's just made worse by that. Right. Well, type one's made worse by that too. Right. Um, so I think it's important to look at them as both as diseases, both in need of a cure, and you know, both in need of treatments and lifestyle changes that will help the outcome. Right. Um, if I had a dream, it would be that um, people just sort of drop the stigma and the snarky jokes about type two and, you know, welcome them to the table and into the conversation. I was going to ask you, do you think that it was bad marketing or bad branding that, that the names are so similar? Like, would it be different if type two was just a whole other thing? And so like, you know, you were born diabetic and the people that get into the type two, if it just had a whole different label, like, do you think that it creates a little bit of animosity that people don't want, you know, like you were born a certain way. And I'm sure there's some people that get uh, offended when people assume that they did something to themselves. Like, is it actually a branding problem, you think? Um, I do think it's a branding problem. I'm not sure what terms will stick, but I, uh, I like some of the language that I've heard coming out of the American Diabetes Association mm -hmm. about talking about a spectrum mm -hmm. of diabetes. Um, it's difficult for people who are diagnosed with type 1 fairly... I don't want to say late in life because it'd be like in, in their forties, let's say. Yeah. Um, there's often something called a latent adult onset. I'm sorry. It's latent autoimmune disease, latent autoimmune diabetes in adults. It's called LADA. And um, it usually looks like type two in the beginning as the, the insulin production is sort of winding down in the pancreas. Uh, and then they become entirely insulin dependent. Yeah. And, um, you know, the real way to tell the difference between the two is type one is, is going to show up as negative results on a C-peptide test and positive results on a, um, I'm trying to remember the, the, uh, as an antibody test it is skipping, skipping my mind right now, but, um, an autoimmune diabetes basically which is type one yeah. is, uh, not producing any insulin and any attempt at producing insulin gets met with a severe immune reaction. Yeah. Uh, type two it's, you know, impaired insulin production or, um, insulin uptake. And, um, what causes that I think should be left out of the discussion. Yeah. Um, unless it's material to the treatment regimen. Right. And I'd love to see the dialogue change in that direction. Yeah. I, I, I feel bad because, you know, People will just look like, you know, here's a big, you know, 7-Eleven's making the bigger Slurpee, right? Like, here, you know, what everybody needs, the 64-ounce Slurpee. And everybody's like, whoa, diabetes in a cup. And that's just not fair to everybody in that situation. I mean, I get what people are alluding to. Like, hey, if you drink that, you're going to have blood sugar problems. It could lead to bad things. But it's just one of those, like, shorthand things in society that I'm sure somebody somewhere is like, hey, that's not fair. You're talking about me. Neither here nor there. As we wrap up, this is the part that I have to, to really know. You get greeted by security. You suddenly realize that Disney is giving you that big, magical hug. There's nobody else in the park but you and your team. You're, you're going down Main Street towards the castle. Uh, at what point in this scenario, Don, did you find like, oh, my forehead's wet from sweat, but this on my cheeks, this feels like it's Disney magic, maybe leaking from my eyes. I need the exact pinpoint moment when the Disney magic, when the heart was too full and started to leak out of the eyeballs. Um, that would probably be when I saw the crowd 
uh, outside the gates. Um, uh, to be clear, they did have uh, customers at the park, sure, uh, but um, they weren't allowing any more of them in when I arrived. Got it. Got it. Okay. They were and locked uh, so definitely the reception out, outside the gates of the park yeah. w- was, as far as I could tell, just for me. And um, when I saw those people, I knew those couldn't just be, um, you know, other other citizens, people follow me on Facebook. It yeah. just seemed really unlikely given the number of people. Um, every one of them had on a name tag that said who they were. Yeah. You know, they were all dressed in Disney, Disney garb, except for <laughs> Melissa. I think she gets a waiver on that. Yeah. And um, when I realized that they had done this for me, I just kind of thought something about this matters. Mm-hmm. whether it's the message about diabetes, whether it's uh, achieving a lifelong dream, whether it's about doing something epic and including Disney in it. Um, I think it was just kind of a magical moment for, for everybody. And uh, the sense that I got, um, there's a lady named Marisol. I, I don't remember her last name. Um, I've, I've got it filed away, but some of these details escaped me. Maybe a, consequence of being almost 60 but uh or running in uh, the heat for 90 days you maniac <laughs> yeah maybe so uh marisol was uh, the photographer assigned to us by the disney people and uh she said that she volunteered to do it and she wanted to be a part of it wow and i think realizing that that you know this may have started out as me and my stubbornness and convincing my wife to come along but it ended up being something that was bigger than that. And uh, I think it became magical when I realized that this was just a thing. It was a, it was a phenomenon. It was something that happened organically. Yeah. Um, and that I could just sort of melt into it and let the moment take me. Mm-hmm. And because it wasn't going to happen again, probably any time uh, in the rest of my life. And I needed to be fully present and yeah. enjoying it and noticing what people had done. And uh, I think I had was fortunate to have the presence of mind to sink into that. Uh, I can't promise you I was paying attention all the time during uh, It's a Small World. Yeah, um, your mind of, was part racing. Of me, part of me was trying to slap myself into waking up. Yeah. I, I told Leslie, the other, Leslie is my wife and crew chief. Um, I told her the other day, I said, you know, this is going well, but if it starts to involve not being able to find each other at a train station, wake up, it's a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think why what you did resonated with so many people is, of course, there's what we all just went through. And what you did, it displays the the human spirit, right? That's kind of been missing. And also you represent freedom. And that's a thing that a lot of people have felt like they haven't had a lot of freedom. You know, I, I wake up every day and I type in the date into my iPhone. Cause I want to see all the other, uh, April 23rds that I have lived before to just know that I was once somebody that had a lot going on and I'll have a lot going on once again. So I think your story is freedom, but I think the reason why it resonates with so many people that love the Disney parks and the Disney corporation is that you're showing that, you know, when we can get to these places, it's escapism. It's all the things that you and I've discussed before, but they're also sort of a mindset that we keep with us of, of wholeness, positivity, and the idea of going from one on foot to the other 
and sort of keeping that as a as a goal or as a reward. I think a lot of people can see themselves as living from vacation to vacation or, or trip to trip. And I think you just sort of did all of that on a very, very epic, well-polished, easy-to-tell story. And Don, I'm I'm so excited that you were on here to, to share this with everybody. You're truly an outstanding pleasure. citizen of Disneyland. And my final question is this. Where do the resting Mickey ears live in your home that they gave you that embroidered Disneyland to Disney world on the back when they presented those to you. I know you picked up a pom pom and a baby Chewbacca and all this stuff along the way, but where do those ears live in your, in your home? Um, um, they're on a shelf next to my desk, uh, out of the, out of the sunlight because I don't want them to fade or rot with time. So I've kind of learned that, um, Memories are best kept fresh in the mind, but the souvenirs need to be out of sunlight and a little bit oxygen free. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I would probably have put those in a glass cube. I mean, that is, I, I can't say that I won't. I, uh, <laughs> it ain't over I, yet. I, just, I need to get one. <laughs> so Don, is there anything that you can do that can outdo this? Um, probably not. I'm going to try in a couple of years to swim solo around Key West, but, um, it'll take some training. Maybe you could swim from, um, nah, there's, I was trying to figure out if there a way you could, you could swim from park to park, but there's no way you can do that. I, I looked at that. Yeah. Um, I actually, I actually looked at some super long distance swims knowing that, um, I can probably on a, on a good day only swim about six miles. Yeah. And, um, I have a friend who lives in Puerto Rico. Uh, it was my old college roommate. And uh, Gil, if you're watching, this is a shout out to you. <laughs> and I thought about swimming to Puerto Rico until I realized that it's practically to South America. It's, you know, it's easier to swim to Cuba. Probably why Diane and I did it that way. Um, and the tides, right? The tides in the ocean are brutal. Like that's, that's a scary, the- scary thing. Uh, depends on the coast. Yeah. Um, I've looked at places to practice for the Key West swim because it's quite a drive to go down there. Yeah. And uh, the town that I finished the coast to coast run uh, in was uh, in the Atlantic, which is just east of Melbourne. Mm. And that beach is fairly calm, uh, but it ha- it has just enough riptide to give you riptide to practice in. Mm. Um, and um, I've actually thought about returning to Indy Atlantic to do some training for Key West so that I'll be set for tougher oceans than I'll probably face at the, in the Keys. I hate, um, I the hate, Key West, the, I hate, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I hate the beach out. Um, we got an echo now. I don't know if you're did headphones or something. Uh, yeah. One of my earbuds uh, disconnected. So let me try this uh, yeah. real quickly. I'll, I'll want to reconnect. Sure. Okay, I'm back on. I'm back on. Okay. There we go. Okay. There we go. Uh, no, the echo's still there. That's all right. That's all right. I can edit it out. We're just finishing up. I was just going to say, I live near the beach here in Southern California. I hate the ocean. The, the, the tide is so scary that I'm just like, nah, I'm good with it. I don't, I don't want to know when that's going to take me out. Um, can you hear me? Yeah. Um, I can hear you. So no problem. Uh, we actually lived in San Clemente for about a year. So I know what yeah. you're talking about. And sometimes you just, you don't, you don't get good ocean. No. Uh, I think the best, best thing for an event like that is to just as with the U S run, uh, scout the area, understand what the conditions are that you're getting into and then break it down into pieces. Um, you know, the, 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 
the funny thing about epic stuff is it has to be done one foot at a time or you know one stroke at a time and you know that's how you practice for it that's that's how you find out what you're capable of and it's ultimately how you do it well and that's how um that's how a creative sees the world right you take a big idea and you break it down into small bite-sized actionable steps so that every day just like your story you know it's 30 miles a day but if you do that 90 days in a row it's 2700 and you can go from one big icon to the other and influence a lot of people along the way that's how you have to do it i mean you just can't get up and go all right i'm running to disney world i'll see you guys when i get there like it has to be broken down step by step into a bunch of little small actions that when piled together make a change it's funny. Uh, most definitely agree with you. There's a fellow who told me that uh, I think it was a guy from the Adventurers Club uh, who said um, that it looked like I basically ran a thousand five k's. I said that's exactly the way I ran it. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. Five k, get something to eat. Run another five k. Lather, rinse, and repeat. So that's crazy, man. Well, Don, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I, I really, really appreciate it, and thanks for. Uh, inspiring everyone and uh you know if i ever see those ears fall up on an auction website i'm bidding on them just let you know i, I see that as <laughs> only one pair like them i see that as some high stakes uh disney merchandise yeah i don't imagine there'll be another one like that but if there is uh i'll know what they did uh final final question your next planned trip to a disney park is uh, Disney World, uh, probably sometime this summer. Nice. And I'm just going to find the quiet things to do. Nice. Um, get some get some bikes and go ride the trails by Fort Wilderness. Um, anything where I can just kind of get peace of mind and the sort of classic uh, Disney experience from my childhood. Well, I'll tell you this. If you find yourself at Disneyland, Walt's original Magic Kingdom out here, I've got the quiet sp- spots dialed in i know it can seem like chaos it's a small park and we got a big population but don i got all the quiet spots in my back pocket that's what i'm famous for is telling you all the best places to go hang out and let an afternoon just melt away i will get in touch with you i promise (laughs) friends i hope you enjoyed this conversation a little bit different for a disney podcast but what don was able to do is is very impressive And his motivation in helping spread awareness for diabetes, that's just the hook that I really think makes it even more special and less, hey, look at me. You know, I mean, he had a very, very good cause. He kept his nose down. He did his thing, didn't bug Disney. Disney caught wind of it. And they said, this is somebody who's doing something extraordinary. This is somebody who's setting a world record. Uh, Nobody's done this before. The way that they got on board, the way that they surprised them at the end. That, my friend, is IRL, Disney Magic. That's the type of story that I like to share with you. I want to thank everybody over at Club1313.com because their loyalty and their support of my content made today's episode possible for everyone to listen to. So I put in the work. They put in the resources and together we're able to give you a podcast nearly every week and YouTube videos nearly every day, Monday through Friday to just keep you buzzing, to keep you feeling like you're in the park. So thank you so much to club1313.com. I appreciate their loyalty and their support and their resources to put a conversation like this out for free for everyone to consume. Don, thank you so much for what you did. Thank you so much for spreading the magic and uh, thank you even more for coming on and having a conversation. Um, you know, I don't want to 
go too far out on a limb here, but I do see a little bit of tramping material in you. But one day, Don, one day, let's let's all calm down. Hey, friends, thank you so much for showing up. Thank you so much for listening to a very, very different type of conversation that you'll hear on a Disney podcast. The Citizens of Disneyland series is all about celebrating those that are truly fantastic citizens of Disneyland, people that embrace the PMA, which is the positive mental attitude, which is Disneyland when they're inside of the gates, but in today's story, when they're going from gate to gate. Thank you so much for showing up. Friends, until the next time I see you, maybe walking up to the gate from your car, I'll see you back here next week with another episode of Disneyland for Designers. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Disneyland has now ended its normal operating day. We hope you've enjoyed your visit to the Magic Kingdom and that the memories you've made will bring you back again soon.